Have you ever heard of the laser shark? What about a guy named Frank Zappa? If you've heard of either of these artists, I'd say you're on the right path musically. If not, allow me to introduce you to some truly amazing artists. Welcome to the second episode of Uniquity Over Ubiquity, the show that gets down to the nitty-gritty of what it takes to establish yourself as a unique artist, rather than being a ubiquitous drop in a pool of the masses. The main content of this show takes an artist that is currently rising in their field and asks them about an artist that inspired them to get into art themselves. Through comparative, personal, not-so-average questions, we give you the opportunity to dive into the mind of the people that inspire you about what inspires them. I'm your host and creator of this show, Kyle Parker. A little about myself, I am a tech geek that loves to write comedy and dabbles in music production. A couple of years ago, I attended an online course with the Second City Comedy School in Chicago. The class was based on writing a podcast. Our final project ended up being a full episode. That's how Uniquity Over Ubiquity came to be. Enough about me, though. What we have here is the first half of a two-hour mega-interview with Greg Ellis about the legendary and extremely unique Frank Zappa. Both of these artists have so much content and work ethic that we couldn't condense this interview at all. Greg is the light designer for the legendary Pretty Lights, and while the name didn't start as a physical description, Greg added his immense knowledge of stage lighting and lasers and turned it into an immersive, enveloping, endless possibilities spewing explosion of aesthetics. If you were to see him live, you'd leave with so many questions. Greg Ellis is the only person that can match Pretty Lights sound visually. Aside from working with Pretty Lights, he has worked with 30 Seconds to Mars, Steve Aoki, and so many others. In the absence of Pretty Lights shows and other tours as of late, he has been going full throttle working with the Ravine nightclub in Atlanta, turning it into a lit up, holographic, coming at you from all angles experience. He's doing a very special break science show there on March 13th, 2019. If you're hearing this episode after that date, don't worry. It's being live streamed, so a recording should be available. His inspiration, Frank Zappa, is the man that led to so many sounds you know and love today. From his stance against censorship to his zany character usage and massive orchestras, he is a true legend in the eyes of any true music fan. Frank Zappa changed music in so many ways by building his own instrument, giving rogue answers to journalists, and doing crazy shit like playing a bicycle on live television. There may never be someone as skilled and overachieving as him in the music world ever again. He is one of the founders of the Mothers of Invention, a filmmaker, a composer, and a genre-crossing genius. He is a true rock star and he doesn't even care. Not to mention everything he did was self-taught. If you have never heard of him, I created a playlist on Spotify that I linked to in the description to showcase this man's talent and let you know what he was really all about. This one hits home for me because my Uncle Doug used to listen to him with me. And he's the reason I explore music to the depths that I do. Greg was nice enough to sit down with me a second time after we had a recording malfunction months ago. We finally had a chat and it was well worth the wait. So buckle up because we're going down the long and winding road of one of history's best musicians ever, led by someone I consider one of the most entertaining light designers in the world. It's good to see you again. Yeah. Uh, it's good. It's good to. It's good to hear that you're doing so much work and see what you've been doing over there. Um, I even saw that you're trying to do a live stream for the Break Science Show since everyone's freaking out about it. So. Oh yeah, people are yeah. crying right now. Yeah. So now, um, now everyone wants to live in Atlanta. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> um, but yeah, so uh, and I guess we'll just uh, we'll talk about Pretty Lights lightly, but there's not really 
not much a, to not a lot to talk to, about. That's for yeah, sure. Yeah, not not a lot to talk about right yeah. now. Um, we miss you guys. Yeah, we miss you guys too. That's why I. I that's why I, it was funny because I kind of, I, when when Red Rocks ended and um, I walked. I literally like walked out of Den, like left Denver and walked straight into this place. So my first, like the first, I actually started working here before Red Rocks, but yeah. it was, but obviously that was like my number one priority. And then the minute like that was over, it was like full steam ahead in here. I've been here like six days a week, nonstop. Like, yeah, you're crushing it right now. Yeah. And, uh, so once the Super Bowl shit ended, because like the month of January was probably one of the hardest months of my life. I was here fucking on average 80 hours a week there were like the week of the super bowl i was here probably 110 hours i mean shit. just n- non-stop just because we put so much crazy shit together added extra lasers the hologram projection it didn't f- it didn't meet its full potential that week but we kind of started to tease it that week for you to be like doing a venue and shit is yeah it very was, appropriate it it is it it is in some ways and then it isn't in other ways um because I think a lot of I like I think we may have talked about this last time I'm not sure but one of the things that I think makes me special as a designer is oh. how how rooms influence me from show right. to show. Oh, so you don't want to be stuck in one influence forever. Yeah, and so what's happening and one of the reasons why I'm working so hard here is I'm constantly changing everything. I'm like evolving like the gear that I'm using or I'm changing the program. Like I'm, so I'm constantly like tinkering with shit and it's cool. But at the same time, it's, it's like, I'm finally at a place now where I'm happy with this, with the space and what I've got going. But for like six months, it was, I was like killing myself just trying to like get into a, get into the right state of mind where I could really enjoy being in one room every fucking day. (laughs) Right. Right. Because yeah, I mean, you've played, things so much greater than just rooms and so many greater rooms than than probably what you're playing at right now most of the time so like it is i I can understand like that that might be limiting in some rights yeah it is you know and and especially given the size i mean it's an 800 person venue but we have an arena fucking light rig in here i've got i've got over 80 moving lights like that's more moving lights than i use on a pretty light show most pretty most pretty light shows anyway and then we've got you know six lasers big video wall you know i'm finally i finally got the hologram shit going Mm. on so there's a lot of cool stuff happening here and one of i think the biggest uh value that comes with this space is the fact that the owners understand what i bring to the table and they understand that to make this situation work they have to invest in, in in the production, and they and there's a great deal of care that goes into making this room feel special. So it's not like, you know, we aren't the type of space that's set up for like a touring act to come in and do their show. It's right. Kind of, it's it's more in the vein of like the Omnias and the Vegas nightclubs, where like we've created an experience, come here and enjoy the that experience. Right. And, like be and, immersed. Yeah. Exactly. So, okay, cool. And there's, you know, there's some give and take to that. Obviously, you, you know, when the right artists come, you know, and they have, they have their show to bring, we will accommodate 100%. But I think the thing that makes this, this space special, especially in Atlanta, because there isn't really anything like it here, is that we've kind of created 
a full-blown like it's an immersive experience the lights the sound the atmosphere the whole nine yards like it's it's really it's it's really pretty special with what we have going on here so I'm, i'm super stoked on it that's awesome i'm super impressed with the things that you have decided to do and have done in the past i know i've told you that a thousand times in some way shape or form um and i'm sure plenty of other people have but the real reason we're here to talk to you today is inspiration and what it takes to be an artist and become so unique in a field of you know a mass of people like i'm you're not the only lighting designer in the world by far you know what i mean oh yeah and, absolutely and you know there's there's not just one good gu- guitar player in the world there's not just 10 of them there's not just 600 of them there's like thousands and thousands you know absolutely. what i mean so, absolutely and you so know, it's and the craziest part is the most talented ones are the ones none of us know about that's, that's the other thing oh man there oh. was uh, i heard this line i think it was on a tv show or something oh. and this guy goes uh you know so the best artists in the world are going to die with no one knowing them yep absolutely and that's and that's the craziest shit because you yeah. know i mean even me as an artist you know i i sit here and i try to think about ways to express myself and stuff like that but there's so many hurdles you have to go through and there's so many way, times that you doubt yourself and you have to be like no I, I'm better than that doubt. Like I can sure. do better than that. But a lot of people can't get past the doubt, and they're just like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm just gonna be an accountant. Yeah, it's hard. I mean, it's a hard life. I mean, I still struggle with that doubt from time to time, and I think more of it comes from the fact that I'm never satisfied, as opposed to think like I I would never consider myself being held down or held back or anything like that. But right. I do I do believe that uh, I think any any creative mind. Thrives and struggles due to self consciousness. And so, you know, doubt or angst or whatever term you want to use, I think it helps fuel creativity, but it can also hinder creativity. So it's a very, very fine line in how you internalize it all and how you manage it to help keep you keep you motivated to continue to do great things. Right. That's uh that's that's excellent insight. Um and so, I, yeah, no, I, I agree with you fully. And so with, with the idea of inspiration, we're going to kick off the interview for the second episode <laughs> of our very wonderful Uniquity Over Ubiquity podcast. Um, we're going to talk to you about someone who inspired you, who is Frank Zappa. Yes. Who I, uh, I resonate with that because my uncle had me listening to him in the car when I was very, very young and I had no idea what the fuck was going on. Yeah. I still don't know what the fuck's going on. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And as I I was about to say, as I grow older, I kind of get it a little more, Uh, but not very much because that guy was in another universe. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I'm going to, I got several questions here for you. Uh, how much time do you got for me? I mean, I've got time. So let's just okay, let's, cool. We'll roll, let's and, roll into and, it yeah, because it, it it went pretty long last time and sure. I didn't hate it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> I mean, I got we got a lot of good stuff. Um, so let's let's do it again. All right. So let's start with some of the more obvious questions. When did you first hear Zappa, and what was that experience like for you? Um, I first heard Zappa I, in my late teens. I don't know. I'm 18, 19 years old. I was probably. Uh, I was probably in college or had just dropped out of college possibly it's hard to it's hard to recall those days oh um, me too <laughs> but it was uh there was a live compilation 
I, I'm trying to think now if it was one of the you can't do that on stage anymore compilations or there was another series called Zappa Picks, which were compilations created by other artists who were influenced oh, by Frank Zappa. So there was one um, by John Fishman, the drummer from Fish. And then the other one was Larry Lalonde, uh, who was, is he the guitar player for Primus, I think? Um, yeah, that sounds right. Uh, so the two of them put out compilations of, the, of Zappa tunes that they loved, and they kind of covered the gamut between comedy and uh, progressive rock and orchestral pieces and so on and so forth. So it was a good way to be introduced to Frank Zappa because very quickly you can, you, you realize the scope of music that he produced. Um, I think looking back on it now, if somebody introduced me to Frank Zappa from the first mother's album, or even from like one of my favorite albums, like one size fits all or apostrophe or something like that, I don't think I would have fallen in love with it as quickly as I did by being introduced to these, like I said, it was either a compilation album or a live album that really, you know, exposed me to, it, it just right. it opened the door so quickly and I was blown away. I was like, what the fuck is going on here? This music is insanity, it's brilliance, it's beautiful, it's disgusting, it's, it's, it's the full range. And, and then on top of that, the musicianship, I, all of it. I mean, it's, it, it was hard to ignore. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> yeah, I, I can fully understand that. Um, like I said, I mean, even, even as a child, being like, like I would, I would have to ask my uncle, like, what are we listening to, though? Sure, like, what, sure. What is going on here? Yeah. Because this is not like anything that I'm hearing in my mom's car in the radio. You no, know what definitely I mean? not. So what do you think separates Zappa from other artists in his field? Um, pure fearlessness. Like... Like he struggled, like what we were discussing earlier with self doubt. Um, I'm not sure that he ever experienced that. If he did, he was the best at at hiding it. Oh because, yeah. Because in his head, he wasn't. I mean, he was striving. He was thriving for perfection. But at the same time, he could write a song in 20 minutes, record it, and just set, and send it on its way. And so, he he was able to be truly comfortable in his own skin in his own weirdness understand that like there's a time and a place for the 20 minute opus and then there's a time and a place for the three minute joke and they can coexist like you don't have to be one or the other you can do anything you want to do and it's okay as long as you're like as long as you're being true to yourself and what you're you know whatever's going on inside of your crazy head share it with the world whether people are going to like it or not i i guess i mean to some people it's irrelevant it's it's i feel that way more and more as i get older i i definitely care less about what other people think and That's i just nice. i just kind of <laughs> i like i don't want to say that because it sounds terrible but it, it, there's a certain truth to it like i don't um i don't pay attention to like the social media stuff so much like i i engage in social media but i don't worry there's a about difference. i don't worry about what some critic has to say about this or that or whatever like i truly or, or someone's opinion like a great example is the last pretty lights red rock show i made a bold choice to essentially cut lighting out of the show and and go to a laser and video presentation 
There were lights, but they were very specific, specialized lights that could only do a few things. It wasn't okay. your it wasn't your standard pretty light show with this over the top dynamic light show. So everyone thought I was crazy. They were like, Did, "Why? It's pretty lights." <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, but it, but I had made a decision, and I wasn't I wasn't going to take no for an answer. Um, that for those for that moment, this was the best thing for that moment, and that I is like that. and that is very much a Zappa mentality. Like it doesn't matter what I've done for the last ten years. It doesn't matter what I'm going to do for the next ten years. What I'm doing right now and what I believe right now is all that matters. And that was he was I mean he was the king of that. That's empowering. Yeah, that's that's fucking awesome. Because and and you can you can obviously see that in uh, in his interviews, which we'll discuss in a little bit. But you know, like people ask him questions, and he just stone faced says his answer, and is just like, "I don't give a fuck if you don't like that." Like yeah. I just don't. Oh, it's the greatest and thing s- ever. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah. Like when you see and and like there's like a little bit of pleasure in the back of his mind, like yeah. that he doesn't care. Yeah. But like but like his face is just saying, "What? Like what?" Yep. So I, 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 I totally, I totally understand that direction. And I think that's uh, very useful information for anyone that's trying to get into this at all. You know what I mean? Um, so I learned that Zappa was a self-taught composer by the age of 13. When did you start doing what you do and how much of what you do is considered self-taught in your eyes? All of it. Nice. All of it. Um, I started, you know, right around that same time when I first discovered Zappa. I was, I was fortunate enough to grow up with some really amazing musicians, and uh, when, when we graduated from high school, I went off to college for a year, but it was it was just a waste of time, and I dropped out and I started doing lighting design for my best friend's college band, and just fully immersed myself in this notion that I was going to make a, a living doing that like doing lighting for concerts or just working in the music industry um but the only way to do that in my opinion is to just do it like there's no school i mean there is whatever but like if you really want to succeed in the music industry you have to understand what the music industry is and it's a beast that will eat you alive and so when I like when I first started it, I just there, well let's rewind a second. When I first started, there wasn't like catalogs of information on the internet. There wasn't like these highly advanced computerized systems. Like it was all very, I mean we're talking the early two thousands, and it was very much still rooted in theater style lighting. Like the the these advanced concert systems were just really beginning to take shape. So I just locked myself in my mom's garage and just taught myself how to run the shit. And I would just, I would play fish for eight hours and I, you know, blow some, I had a little fog machine from Spencer's and (laughs) I just, and then, and then I just learned on the road, you know, like when you work, when you're, when you're going on the road with your friends and you're playing in front of 200 people at a bar in upstate New York, the, the expectations aren't very high. So there's, yeah. this, there's this amazing freedom to just go out there and just fucking say, well, let's see what happens tonight. And if I suck, I suck. Yeah, no big deal. We're still going to have a, we're still going to throw a party. We're going to have a great time. We're going to, we're, you know, we're going to get fucked up. We're going to have fun. We're going to, we're just going to, you know, we're going to go out there and we're going to do it. And that, 
that is how it all came together. And the more time you spend on the road, the more opportunities you have to work with the more advanced gear. You just you take every little piece of the puzzle, you know, of the pie as you're walking along, and eventually you can start to make your own pie and be like, all right, I've got enough knowledge now to where I can start creating my own ideas of how this should all happen. And so, I mean, that's yeah, amazing. It, yeah. That's that's a really that's a really cool way, you know, because I've. I don't think I've ever considered how somebody got their start in lighting design other than doing school. Yeah, I mean, or something. There's a so lot. like, so like to hear like an upstate New York, you know, crazy like going around doing whatever the fuck I want to do and like figuring it out. That's awesome. That's so yeah. cool. It, it, you know, it's certainly the road less traveled. I wish it was the road m- more traveled because I a lot of a lot of. I don't want to. I don't want to like put anybody down, but a lot of the kids that are using certain opportunities that exist now in these um, like trade schools, so to speak, yeah, they they learn in these perfect conditions which don't exist in the real world. So if you go into this controlled environment where everything is perfect, and you're like, oh man, I'm so great at this, like I'm gonna go out there and I'm gonna do it, and then you get out there and you have to go show up at some dive shitty club that's got fucked up power low ceilings whatever the case may be and you're like well i don't know what to do but if you started in bars that have three circuits in a wall and you hope that you don't blow one of them and you understand like okay i'm going to show up with six lights on a fucking 12 foot stage where do i where am i going to put them today you under you, you quickly learn how to adapt to all these situations. So then, when the rooms get bigger and you have more space and you have more power, you're like, "All right, this is great." And so you don't feel you don't feel trapped when you're in these non-ideal situations. That's interesting. Yeah, no, uh, I, I feel like that translates to a lot of life too. Like, if you don't have actual in the field experience and you've just been reading books your whole life, like you're gonna get smacked in the fucking face. Oh yeah, that's just that's just the way it is. <laughs> like, and that like applies to fighting. That applies to working. That applies to learning. That applies to everything. Like, you need Absolutely. to like get your ass out there and do some shit before you can say that you know some shit. Yeah. Um, Zappa has quite a catalog, giving the world over 60 albums. In most cases, music seems to be a quality over quantity thing. Uh, what do you think made it possible for him to put out so many quality hits and records? Well, like I was saying before, I think his ability to recognize that not everything has to be anything. Like, I'm going to write a four-minute song about truck driver divorce, and then I'm going to write a 15-minute progressive masterpiece about the Mayan pyramids and aliens invading and Inca roads. And he just, he did, he never, he never put himself in a box. So when you're standing in a field, you have all the space in the world to do whatever you want. And so for him, the things that he cared about was musicianship, was sound quality, was this notion that the music should say something it doesn't have right. to be serious. It doesn't have to be mind blowing. It doesn't have to, you know, it, it can be what it what it is. And I think that his his recognition of of that freedom is what allowed him to create so much great music because he was never worried about people being like, "Well, where's the next great masterpiece?" It's like, "Well, I'll go fuck yourself. I'm going to write 20 songs about 
sex and the hippie scene and how terrible it is or whatever. <laughs> you know? Yeah, that's that's a good point. I, I often wonder, like, you know, do you think other people are going to be able to attain those kinds of numbers and that much in this day and age? Because, like, I feel like I don't really see artists with that much longevity or that much content anymore. You know what I mean? No, no. N- nobody will ever generate nobody will ever generate the, the 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 amount of product that he created Be, and for a number of reasons i mean uh ac- well well it's kind of weird because i suppose everyone has access to the production gear now i mean anybody can fucking record an album in their basement yeah. i guess and so there's yep. that i mean but, i'm doing a podcast in my in my living room so you know. yeah so i suppose there is that but i don't think that people are motivated in that sense and i do think a lot of people are affected by outside influences and whether it be critics or whether it be their desire to mate to reach some brass ring that doesn't really exist whatever the case may be um I, it's never going to happen again. It's just it's a different world. I think with the amount of distractions that exist in the world nowadays, yep. that's a big factor. Um, I also just think that people don't have nearly as much to say. I mean, that's yeah, that's that's awesome because he, I don't I don't know. It, it's definitely obvious that he approached it a lot differently than I feel like anybody had or anybody ever will again. And I I, I think that's one of the main reasons why he stands out so much. Like he is just an extensive an elaborate human being, like in every sense of the word. Um, you say a lot of artists gather their inspiration from Zappa without really knowing it. Name a time that you were listening to a different artist that you were like, wow, that's so Zappa. Oh, wow. I mean, well, uh, the first one that always, I mean, comes to mind is Fish. Um, they, especially in the early days before Jerry Garcia died and before they were truly a jam band, they were way more of a of a progressive orchestral uh, kind of entity, and so much of the things that Trey wrote and the way that Trey played, I have always felt was way more inspired by Frank than it ever was by Jerry or by Clapton or by anybody else. Um, now, obviously, those guys take all of their influences and then re-project them back out, but I I really really truly believe that. You know, Fish was. I'm mean, Fish wouldn't be Fish without Frank Zappa, and there's plenty of other bands that we could say that about as well. I think like the Red Hot Chili Peppers. I've yeah. always felt like had a big Zappa influence. Especially. Very zany, very crazy. Yeah. and and um, it's it's weird. There's like you can argue with people about these things and whether or not you know the times are right or this or that or whatever. But like punk music very much rooted in a lot of the things that Frank was doing in some of the earlier th- stuff that he had. Like I- I've always felt like he, he kind of gave birth to the punk scene, like unintentionally. Um, and some people will 100% agree with this. And some people will think I'm completely batshit crazy. But if you go back and you listen to Frank Zappa between 1968 and 1974, there's plenty of things that punk music took from those songs <laughs> that's interesting and I, I don't know if you've heard this but uh a lot of people claim hip-hop to be very punk rock itself also like hip-hop is 
the definition of punk rock because it like is always trying to like you know stand up against something and always fight against something I, at least well, at one point it was at, at least at one point it was i okay so from a uh theoretical standpoint i could see that being the case i think i think it's different in the sense that like hip hop hip hop is its own entity because of the experiences that those guys were having whereas like punk rock was like punk rock was a bunch of middle class white kids that just didn't feel like they fit into modern into that time period hip hop was birthed out of the fact that black people were being you know downtrodden and yep. you know and being uh, discriminated against and so while yes they kind of have similar messages i would never say that one gave birth to the other or vice versa or whatever like i i really it's there in in my head anyway i think they they completely exist in their own ways on yeah. their own terms cool i can understand that um so he likes to use recurring characters in his albums and songs through what was defined as conceptual continuity or musique concrete these characters included poodles ponchos Susie cream cheese etc it also seemed as though over time he created his own fictional world where these characters existed. Do you think you ever create your own little atmosphere or environment within your art? And are there any recurring items in your videos or any themes you try to adhere to? Uh, or is it more improvised and random than that? Um, I think from a conceptual standpoint, there's continuity. I do like the idea of um, hearkening back to something that, you know, may have happened at one point or another now if we're talking from like like let's say from like a design standpoint then absolutely like you always want to well not always but from from tour to tour you always want to kind of have something that bridges one idea to the next idea and uh so there will always kind of be that like even when when we got rid of video and we went to this big elaborate light show back in uh, 2013, I'm trying to think of what exactly the bridge was back then, but like there were certain aspects that I kept from the old shows that I tried to kind of, you know, mix in with the new idea. So that way, like it, even though it was a completely different show, completely different visual concept, it still felt like pretty lights. It still felt like a pretty light show. Um, and, and that's, that's kind of like, that's the bigger picture kind of, you know, bridging, you know, from like, you know, spring 2012 to, or, or, or whatever, fall 2012 to spring 2013 or whatever, you know, and then, but then the same could be said from like within a show where like there may be some, some lighting effect that I did or some laser thing or something like that, that will find its way back into the show, you know, and or maybe it'll be some kind of gag or something like that. That where it, it might have been a mistake the first time, but it maybe it made me laugh, or maybe it, it got a reaction, and it's like, okay, well, that was actually really cool. Let's do it again. Yeah, and yeah. So, so those kind of things exist for sure. It's you know for me it's 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 difficult because it's a much more abstract medium that I that I exist in. So that that notion of of continuity. <laughs> it's very there's it's very loose <laughs> <laughs> yeah i've I've seen many different things from you so i can imagine that uh you have a whole slew of choices at times um and 
That must be nice and complicated at the same time, for sure. Frank disapproved of drugs, but seemed to possess the creativity many people consider to be obtained only through drug use at times. What do you consider a testament to his zaniness, and do you implement his wacky style or off-color humor into your art form at all? Well, absolutely. That's, I mean, that's probably one of the biggest things that I love about, and that's something that I learned from Frank, that's something that I learned from Fish, is that we can't ever take ourselves too seriously in this shit. Like, at the end of the day, it, 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 we're entertaining people, and it should be fun. It, I don't want to ever say it should be carefree, but there should be a carefree element to it. There should be this notion that, like, when you go out there, if if you fuck up or if you, you know, do if you're in a situation that you don't feel comfortable in, make the best of it, have fun with it and and always have a sense of humor. Always, always, always. Because if you don't, it this life will kill you. Um I mean, there's tons of examples of me messing with Derek during shows back in the old days. We used to be able to talk to each other during the show and uh you know, if he said something I didn't like, I might black out the stage or, you know, or, <laughs> or do the exact opposite thing that he told me to do. So, you know, there was always that, like, there was always that playfulness there that existed. And then the same thing goes for the fans, too, where, like, you know, if, if a fan asked me to do something, I might do it. But there might be consequences to it, too. Or so, like, you know, where I might do the exact opposite thing right after I did the thing they asked me to do. Um and then obviously there's the uh, the infamous um, show back in uh, New Hampshire where uh, we threw up the no totem sign uh, before <laughs> before the show started. The 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 amazing part about that story that I don't think a lot of people know is the night the first night. So we did two nights at the whatever pavilion blah 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 in New Hampshire. The first night, this dude with this fucking jellyfish is like dead nut center and messing up the stream and i ironically enough i've never had a problem with totems i actually think they're funny and i don't mind them that much because you're I know, a visual artist <laughs> i know that what i'm like i don't necessarily need to see the stage all the time like i i look up i look down i have my eyes closed half the time like i'm in my own fucking space so like it's never been as much of a distraction to me as it has been to some other lds out there and i know that there's this big you know like over totems and uh but when i found out that it was affecting the live stream i wanted to you know i wanted to help the fans out so after the first night me and a couple of the other guys in the crew are hanging out in the campgrounds having a good old time with the fans and we run into this guy and oh my I was god like, oh yeah and i was like listen dude i was like can't do this again tomorrow I was like, we will make an example out of you if you try to fucking bring that jellyfish into the show. And oh, my God. First off, he didn't even believe that I was who I was. He thought I was just some kid fucking with him. And then oh on top of God. that, our monitor engineer, Whit Hawkins, when we hang out in the campgrounds, he's my quote-unquote manager. So he deals with a lot of funny situations and what have you. And so between the two of us, he thought we were fucking with him. He did not believe... That we were who we were. So we got a call on the radio that next day. We were, we were joking about the whole no totems thing. And my, uh, my uh, head of video, Smokey, who, the one who puts on the live streams, 
he made that sign to put on the video wall. And so it was a joke. We like th- I threw it up on Instagram earlier that day or whatever. And that was going to be the end of it. You know, just playful. Let's have fun. You know, we'll, we'll make a joke out of this. No big deal. And then we got a call on the radio that Homeboy was back. And so I was like, stop the show. Because they were like doing the changeover, getting ready to start the show. Oh, my and God. And I was like, that's it. Turned all the lights on. Turned the fucking sign on. My crew guys are hitting them with the flashlight. And then the whole thing got blown out of proportion because a bunch of like the blogs or whatever said that we kicked them out. We never kicked them out. We just told them to move off to the side. I don't even think we confiscated the stupid thing from them. I just think we made a move off to the side. But we made an example out of them. And like we told them we were going to do the night before. And so, long story short, bring your totems to a pretty light show. Whenever the next show is, I don't give a fuck. Just don't ruin the live stream for our fans at home. Please, stay behind that shit. Yeah. <laughs> I'm really glad. that That is a, a lot funnier than I thought it was. I oh, didn't yeah, that there was so much depth to that story because yeah. I was at that. And um, I just saw it as a immediate joke or something like that but apparently it was built upon so watching frank zappa try to sell playing a bicycle as an instrument on the steve allen show yes must have been a pretty (laughs) peculiar sight especially at that time oh yeah what do you feel like your bicycle was and what made you realize you really had something different here well, I guess now, you know, looking back on it over the last few years, I guess the the, the live analog visuals, you know, like everyone else, like I, as far as I know, there's nobody else doing that at the scale that we're doing it at. Like there's nobody else doing live analog visuals in front of 10,000 people. There are a bunch of really amazing artists out there that are doing it in these cool little in, in environments. But it's such an unstable, crazy approach to producing visuals that there, nobody nobody has the balls to, to get away with it in front of that many people. So it's it's an amazing technology, but it's so off the wall, and it it it's because of the way that I approach shows from a foundational standpoint that I don't want every show to look the same. I want to be able to create moments within moments. And for me to truly feel happy with a, with a show, it, it needs to always be unique. It needs to always feel pure, you know, in the moment, you know, blissful, just creation. And the, the, that, the live analog visuals have helped me get to that point from a total package. I was always able to improvise the lights. I was always able to improvise the lasers, but I could never improvise the video until I discovered that. And then having the synchronicity with the audio and, and getting, you know, getting these frequencies from the stage and that connection that we create where you're literally seeing what you are hearing out of, you know, is like, it's the most mind blowing thing in the world to me and nobody's doing it. And everyone, like any other LD, any other person in the business, whatever, when they come to my show and they come to my front of house, they're just like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, this is insanity. And I'm just like, yeah, exactly. It's the Damn, most, it must, it must, yeah. it must look like sorcery. It well, must look like it's, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's wizardry for sure. Because I mean, it's, it's, 
it's this crazy combination of science and art and free-falling just you never know what's going to happen because as i'm getting as i'm getting the audio from the stage they're partially creating the visuals and then on top of that i am there's no like like oh if you push this button it's going to go red or if you put like there's none of that it, you're literally tweaking all these knobs and doing all these crazy things and just hoping that you can create something beautiful in the moment and sometimes it's amazing sometimes it's god awful but it's fine because there have all these other things that i can rely on and it, that and that enables me to be fearless so like if i if i find myself in some weird position where like the video just looks like complete dog shit i just turn uh -huh. it off i just turn it off I'm like, all right, cool. I'm going to go do lights for the next five minutes while I figure out how to fix this. And it's fine because I'm able to multitask while I'm running a show. And I can, you know, without even thinking about it, I can run a really cool light show with my right hand, not look at the stage. And with my left hand, I'm over here turning 30 different knobs and looking at an old tube TV from 1986 trying to fix whatever the fuck's going on. And then when it's ready, I bring it back and it's the most powerful fucking incredible experience because it's all happening right then and there and I can never recreate it. I will never be able to recreate a single show that I've done for the last two and a half years because of that simple concept. And to me, that's the greatest thing in the world. Damn, just hearing you talk about that like is is a journey in itself. Like, um, I, I, I'm going to be completely honest and admit to my own ignorance that I don't completely understand like even what analog is or how it functions. So like, like I already know that just me, like, I mean, I have technical understandings of a lot of things. I work on computers in my daily life. Like I, I, I know how the fuck shit works and I still don't get how that shit works. It's so it's, at its very root, it's voltage control. It's electrical current. That's like, fuck. that's the basis of the whole system. It's literally having like a giant circuit board of wires all interconnected doing crazy things and then the end result is either sound or light and that's that's crazy as fuck like yeah. that's like the most insane shit and it's it's funny because like as you guys i mean you, you mentioned a 1986 tube television as you guys go forward and i know that this has like been a quote in in y'all's uh social media and stuff but like as you guys go forward you are definitely moving backwards sure in time and like actually just tell like almost time traveling because that is like i mean i'm assuming zappa worked with stuff like that too oh yeah i mean stuff right Zap yeah yeah i mean well that's everyone was working with and so the so the key the key difference right between the past and the present is mm -hmm. analog versus digital analog okay. is is electrical current that's metered over uh voltage and and frequencies right digital processing is just a bunch of ones and zeros and now, digitally, we've come so far with the, our ability to replicate those things. But like, you can hear the difference between a digital recording and an analog recording. There is, it's like, think of like the difference between like, um, what would be the easiest way to describe this? Think of the difference between like a, like a perfectly round hill, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's, that's analog. All, okay. every, everything is there, right? Like. Okay. When you go from the top to the bottom, every little piece is, exists. But when you go digital, it's all ones and zeros, so there's structure. No matter how hard you try to create 
that hill, you're never going to perfectly create that hill. There's always a one or a zero. So it's like a pyramid, you know, or like an old Mayan pyramid, right? And okay. like, and so that would be the, the 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 simplest way, I guess, to describe that that difference. And um, so, up until the, I guess the '80s, because when MIDI was implemented, I guess that was like the that's like the first digital kind of uh, processing for for audio or video or anything like that. That was like the first right. like di- digital signal processing was MIDI. Um, I guess that would have been maybe like the late seventies, in which Zappa was actually a pioneer of digital technology, but mm-hmm. he 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 was a he was a pioneer of technology in all terms, and it, he he embraced technology the same way he embraced his music. There wasn't one thing was not better than the other; they could all coexist. So he was one of the first people to to experiment in electronic music. He had this giant, I can't remember, when the first time we did this interview, I remember researching it and I, and I had the name of it. I can't think of it now, but he had this giant contraption that had like sequencers built into it and was able to like loop and record. And he, he created tracks on this giant, like basically supercomputer in the early eighties that cost him like a quarter million dollars or something. So he was a pioneer of digital music, but he was also a pioneer in analog music because he wouldn't, accept things as they were he loved to tweak things his guitars he would open up his guitars and like and fuck with the wiring for the pickup so that like he was driving way more signal than like any other guitar player could and like so he 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 was he wasn't opposed to anything and that's something that we've we've grown into you know for a very long time it was like let's be as cutting edge as possible. Let's try to do the newest, greatest thing, and then at some point, I don't want to say it got boring, but it just—I think when you reach a certain point in one bubble, you have to get out of that bubble. It's just—it's just human nature. You, you, the grass is always greener on the other side. How you know any stupid catchphrase you want to use. But I think that we just we just discovered this beauty in this analog technology that was created 50 years ago, and now and there's this whole subculture of artists and musicians that have re-embraced it, and so we're taking we're taking things that we have access to now. These, you know there are these microcomputers and stuff, and we're smashing them together with this ancient and by ancient I mean 50 year old technology. But like, and there's it's possible for these things to coexist and that all they do is make each other better. And so these hybrid, um, platforms of this analog digital, you know, cohesion is where we've kind of found this really magical existence because a lot of people still kind of like, Oh, I don't that. That was cool. 50 years ago. We don't give a fuck about that. You know, like give me the new plugin or give me this blah, 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 whatever. Like, or they just don't have the time to learn or whatever the case may be. But we really have always just, we've always, we've, we've never taken for granted technology and whether it's new technology, old technology, imaginary technology, Derek is the king of imaginary technology. I can't tell you the amount of crazy fucking things he's like proposed to me and like and like let's see if we can make this happen and I'm just like okay, like let's see. So, yeah. Wow, that's yeah, that's that's amazing. I with old technology being referenced and with new technology being referenced, there's really so many levels we can go through and so many different, you know, compound ideas we can create and I think you guys have 
done a very wonderful job of combining the two. Um, like, and, and that explanation is probably the details that I and a lot of people have been looking for for a long time because that shit is just insane to like witness. And it's so funny because like it's kind of like, um, you know how like a chef can spend like 16 hours creating a meal and then somebody eats it in like 35 minutes. Sure. Yeah. You, you know what I mean? I and mean, like, that's... and like all we do is just take it in like really quickly, but to hear the amount of work and the amount of idea and the amount of uh, cognitive thinking that has to go into making it a cohesive thing is just insane to me. Yeah. Uh, so uh, let, let's keep it going though. Uh, I, I feel like we're just getting so much good information on on just art in general and this is just amazing uh he said that if you want to be a musician be prepared for no one to care how did you fight through that realization because society as a whole will kind of show their weariness and make it seem like you're making a bad choice uh whenever you try to be an artist you know yeah i mean uh, well you could, I guess you could look at that from a few different perspectives. Um, if you look at it from like a societal perspective, you just hope that the right people find out about you. Um, and then you hope that those right people help the other people find out about you. Uh, I was always fortunate enough to kind of be surrounded by people that really believed in what I was trying to do and the opportunities that were given to me because of those people that believed in me are what helped me to get to this point. Um, so I think, I think the moral of that story is never, never thrive to be loved by everyone, but be adored by the people that really mattered matter. Um, because as a, you know, when you're a creative person, you always want people to enjoy the things that you create. But that's just not going to happen. I mean, there's just there's too many people in the world. There's too many people that can see what you're doing now. The, the access that people have to these things, and with with that access, there becomes this magnified version of of opinions, good and bad. And so you you may think that like, oh my god, like, you know, oh I got 500 likes on on Facebook, blah blah blah, whatever, right? Like everyone loves me, like. <laughs> But, like, at the end of the day, like, it's 500 people. It's not that big of a deal. Um, and so being being true to yourself and loving yourself, obviously, is the most important part of being a creative, I think. If, if you can really truly be proud internally of the things that you're doing, odds are that will translate into other people enjoying the things that you do. But always always just be conscious of the fact that like it's not for nothing is for everyone nothing is for everyone that's why there are britney spears fans that's why there are tupac fans that's why and like and some of those fans yeah. may cross over but like you know th th that's the beauty of the world is that like there are so many different avenues to go down and all you can do is just is just excel in your avenue i've often thought to myself uh if the whole world went for what they actually wanted and not what they were told to want and not what their friends wanted, but like if the whole world went for what they actually wanted all the time, there'd be enough of everything for everyone. Sure. Sure. Because we, because we wouldn't be chasing like not, if everybody didn't fucking like diamonds, there'd be enough diamonds to like cut glass with and, you know, do other things sure. with that. Like there's, you know what I mean? But like, yeah. I, I, so I, I definitely vibe with what you are saying with that. And that makes a lot of sense to me. Um, 
<clears throat> he seemed to have a disdain for the usual stupid, basic, tired, old interview questions, and I do too, so that's why I created this <laughs> show. I mean, he even had a documentary named Eat That Question, yep. so like, you know, it, it's... It's just obvious. You mentioned that this podcast idea is a good way to explore conversation without the same old questions. How do you feel is the best way to get to know an artist or really get valuable information from an artist? Or do you feel it's all better left to the imagination? Oof, well, that's a loaded question. I mean, that's such a situ situational um, thing because every artist kind of has their way to express themselves. And it also, you know, it depends on the moment too. I mean, there are times when I am the most open and ready to like, you know, communicate with anybody. And then there are other times where I don't want anything to do with anyone. And so I think just being socially conscious is a huge, huge thing that, you know, it, it ebbs and flows, but understand like if somebody, if somebody opens the door, walk through it slowly um and and because one you never want to you never want to feel like you're uh you're you're forcing yourself upon somebody but you also like you do want to you know exchange ideas or whatever the case may be but it, it i it's it's a it's a delicate world because creative people are i think more often than not creative people tend to be more introverted so it's hard, it's hard to, to have two introverts communicating with each other. Now, sometimes, yeah. sometimes, you know, it works and all of a sudden there's this explosion, but it's very rare where like these like great experiences happen between two creative people. I think it's all so circumstantial. Um, and it's, it, it, I, the biggest, the biggest thing to always kind of think about is how does that person feel right now when this is happening? Because if I look at somebody and I can tell that they're tired, I'm not going to be like, hey, man, you want to explain that really crazy fucking thing you just did? I'm like, nah, yeah, I'm probably I'm, I'm going to save that for another time. <laughs> right, right, right. Read the room kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. Understood. OK, so uh, he composed, wrote, played his own music and even made a movie called 200 Motels. How many forms of media do you plan to transcend? I feel like even though we don't hear original Greg Ellis music, you are incredibly musically inclined, but mainly work in music and videos. Do you ever want to do something else, or are visuals your only passion? Um, yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, uh, I actually, if you, uh, I don't want to like, I don't want to fuck this whole thing up, but if you look around into the studio space here, hold on. Yes. Uh, there is a giant audio console. Yes. And this whole orange box and some other things, those are all audio um, modules. And then I've got like, okay. some drum machines. And I am experimenting in the audio realm. Now, with that being said, will any person on the planet ever hear any of it? To be determined. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay. It's one of those things. It's one of those, like, I've definitely been exploring it a bit. Um, I do, uh, I did buy a really, really beautiful guitar, uh, about a year or two ago, and I do plan on taking guitar lessons soon. Um, but at the same time, I, I don't know yet if I have anything to offer there. It's going to take time and we'll see what happens. 
I'm not going to be one of those people that like just starts putting music out because people know who I am. Right. Um, it, again, I want, I want it. It doesn't have to be the most amazing thing, but I have to be proud of it before I, I make somebody else endure that nonsense. Um, but from like a visual standpoint, I am 100% exploring every visual concept on the fucking planet. I mean, I've got oil projection rig, I've got a hologram video, I've got tube televisions, lasers, lights, every any like the from a visual medium standpoint, and and it now granted it's all light based. I'm not gonna go out and start painting. I painted one picture as a. Uh, um, it was either a birthday or a Valentine's Day present for my girlfriend. Uh, I painted one picture two years ago, and uh-huh. I mean, it looks terrible, but she loved it because she understood the effort that went into it. Right. Uh, but that was that. That was. I had my fun with it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I'm constantly exploring, um, but a lot of that, a lot of that exploration is for me it helps me to constantly generate new like new creative thoughts in the things that i know that i'm good at so like if i sit in my studio for eight hours noodling around on audio synthesizers hearing things helps me to translate into how i see things and so it it may not it's an ends to it's a means to an ends right is that is that uh, yeah means to an end i think yeah yeah so the audio exploration has more benefit in what I'm doing visually than me trying to all of a sudden become a musician or a producer or whatever the term is these days. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. Okay. No, yeah, I, I respect that. It's, uh, I, I have a similar story with what I'm doing with music. Like me and my girlfriend, we can sit like we'll, we'll like maybe like not do anything for like a month and then all of a sudden we'll like try to make something and like we're like hey that sounds pretty cool yeah and then like you know like when we feel like i don't know if i'm gonna be that guy but i know that i have been listening to music enough that i want to try sure sure so I, yeah. I mean you know we, we we take so much from music all the time like i have taken and taken and taken in so much music it'd be nice to put some out at one point absolutely and i think I think, you know, to that point, it's it's in all of us in one form or another. I think I think the big thing that occurs with a lot of people is uh instead of instead of letting it uh kind of seep out of you, they force it out. And mm-hmm. when and when that happens, you don't get the best product. Like it has to happen naturally. If you all of a sudden wake up one day and have a fucking beautiful song, and you're like, whoa, holy shit, share it with the world by all means. Like, it doesn't matter if it's three chords, and it, but if it, like, if it moves mountains, then it's, you know, like, I mean, you think about, like, old Bob Dylan or old Beatles. I mean, like, they are at the core of them the most simple musical concepts, but they move mountains because they're fucking magical. And so that's in... All, well, I don't want to say it's in all of us, but it's in a lot of us. <laughs> but, yeah. but getting it, some people shouldn't. <laughs> yeah, but getting it out, getting it, getting it out is you know, is the trick, and that's why there are the Paul McCartneys and the Bob Dylans and the whoever's of the world is like they know how to get it out. 
some of us and that's gonna how be, it's gonna be trapped for the rest of our lives whether we like it or not and that's just that's just the way it is i mean yep and that, <laughs> and that goes right back to what we were talking about that like you know you may not ever get known but just keep trying sure you know just keep yep. and if and and i think everybody needs to take a lesson in networking because man this shit is something different these days you know what i mean like yeah. if you want to get yourself out there you need to do hashtags you need to do like you need to do all yeah. kinds of crazy shit to like be relevant and it's crazy <laughs> I, I, I mean you i mean you guys you guys i feel like i i i'm i'm like always really really bewildered by the status of the pretty lights crew because like you guys are so fucking popular with like Mike within within our community you're so popular but like you know I don't know it's not like it's not like um like Tupac level popularity like it's not like like obnoxiously overly known but like I know that there's like thousands and thousands of people that give a fuck that you're in town sure you know what I mean we so I think I think it's a really sweet spot for y'all we you know we and that's and that's um it's something that we thrived for for a long time is like the right amount of engagement before you know before it becomes this just like whoring yourself out there are, mm -hmm. are a lot of conversations that happen about these how we execute social media networking and internet presence this that what have you and we we we, we understand its power we're terrified by it, but we also embrace it to a degree. And I think one of the things that is very uh, what what has endeared us to our fans as much as it has up until maybe about a year ago, is that we give just enough that everyone you know gets what they want, but we don't fucking kill them with it. You know, it's not all of a sudden it's like oh this thing, you know, hashtag, da, 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 or like 30 posts in a day or whatever, you know, like, yeah, there are, there are people out there that, you know, exist within the, 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 the web that is the web. I, I know exactly what you mean. Like they're literally <laughs> just an electrical circuit, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, and, the, and this, this idea that you are so important that everyone should know what the fuck you're doing at all times is just the most disgusting thing in the world to me. Like I heard that there's I heard that there's like people on Twitch that just show themselves sleeping for eight hours. Yeah, yeah, that's a thing now. What, it's what the fuck? It's crazy. What the fuck? And I mean, for me, I, you know, I come and go. I come and go within all of that. You know, you'll hear from me for like a couple of weeks, or maybe every day or two, and then you won't hear from me for two months. And, well, I'm familiar. Yeah, and I think that there's, you know, when 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 those moments do happen, when you have something to say or you have something to share, it, it means something. You're not just like, I'm not, you know, sitting. I've got this beautiful venue that I'm in six days a week doing all sorts of crazy shit. I'm, I could probably tell you, I could probably count on two hands how many times I've posted about it. Because, well, there's a couple of different reasons. And I don't want to get too deep into this, but like... It's not be, just because I'm doing something cool doesn't mean that it's for the Pretty Lights fans. And so I don't feel the need to be like, hey, guys, check out this other cool thing that I'm doing that doesn't really matter to you. You know, so like 
you know, the, the break science show that we're doing here in a couple weeks, you know, it matters to the Pretty Lights fans. So now I'm engaging again because it actually matters to them. There's a lot of things that I do that matter to me, but they're, but that's it. And I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna make all these other people endure every fucking stupid thing that I'm doing just because I think it's cool. I want to share with things to people that they think are cool. And I think more people need to have that attitude because this, this crazy fucking existence is just completely out of control. <laughs> I agree with you fully. I, I, um, as a as a tech person and a lover of the internet, watching the way that it's morphed society is probably one of the most gut-wrenching things I've ever experienced in my life. Like, just the way that people have turned it into this, like, vanity fair and this just, like, crazy, like... I, I remember, like, it, I was just thinking the other day, like, I remember there was a point in time where I was not... Well, like, when I would check my Facebook occasionally. Yeah now i check it like a lot yeah you know what i mean like and like like it's like really fucking weird because yeah. like i remember a time when i was like hey i'll go to that website maybe on yeah. you know maybe in a couple of days i don't know but so i agree with you fully on that the one thing um, the one thing i will say that and facebook has been amazing for this is it's it's empowered and well it's an amazing thing and it's also a really scary thing because what it the one thing that i've learned over the last couple of years that i never really involve myself with with all these little subcultures and so like i'm part of these really interesting little niche groups yes, yes. where you can share information and you can learn things and and or you can discover like i would never be able to keep up with a lot of the things that i actually am passionate about without these little groups of people that are like hey check out this really crazy fucking thing that this dude in poland just invented I'm like holy shit like this is amazing and that's 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 where and that's where like share the things that matter to those to the to the people around you don't share the things that necessarily matter to you because not everything that you think is cool everyone else is going to think is cool think about the people that you're actually putting it out there to and that's that's where the real magic can exist within social media because you know just taking a picture of yourself in your mundane life nobody gives a fuck it's yeah congratulations yeah it's not (laughs) but like if you have something genuinely interesting that other people will think is interesting and you do think is it they will think is interesting then that's where you like that's where it's great but then that that kind of displays the problem too because everybody thinks that everything they do is interesting when it really isn't (laughs) (laughs) yeah we all have different barometers for that i think so (laughs) um you know we some people have seen a lot of things and some people have seen nothing at all. Yeah. So um, I wrote this quote down and uh, I feel like I had uh, – I feel like I'm going to lead into this a little bit later. But I'm just going to say this quote out loud just for us to think about. This seems like as good a time as any to throw a cliffhanger in the middle of this interview. If your attention span or life is anything like mine, two hours is far too long to do anything consistently. I also came to the conclusion that there was no way I could edit out any of the fine information uncovered in this interview, so I did the courtesy of splitting it up into a two-part episode. But don't worry, I'm not going to make you wait a month to hear the next one. You should be hearing it two weeks from now. So sit tight, subscribe to this podcast, and catch the notification about the next part of this interview. You could also catch us on Facebook at facebook.com slash uniquityoverubiquity and on Instagram at uniquityoverubiquity. I hope this was as informative for you as it was for me because there's plenty more where that came from. Catch you next time.